Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is an excellent critic, author, and all-around horror enthusiast. Stephanie Crawford is here. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Really my pleasure. Like I said, you're a great writer, and I'm really excited to hear, first and foremost, a little bit about your history with horror, how it started, came to the genre, all that kind of stuff. Well, it started with books. I grew up in a pretty religious house, so I wasn't allowed to watch any horror movies or anything, but my mom's a librarian and my dad's a big reader, so that was their blind spot. I I could pretty much read anything that way. But, you know, eventually, like a lot of kids, I'd sneak into the horror section of the video (laughs) store and make up my own movies based on the covers. And then I'd go home, line up all my Goosebumps and Fear Street books and pretend it was a movie theater I owned. (laughs) And those were the movie posters for it. Wow. And then uh, my parents finally got Cinemax. And that was kind of the end of it. I'd wait for the softcore porn movie to end. (laughs) Like, come on. And then they'd show like, you know, the classics like Pinocchio's Revenge and Leprechaun 3 and Friday the 13th Part 3. A lot of Part 3s. And then, yeah, uh, my mom realized it was a lost cause. And (laughs) yeah, I've just, I've always been fascinated by it. That's awesome. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned Friday the 13th there. The movie you picked today is a slasher. Uh, Do you have a favorite subgenre? Something that's, you know, your your go-to? Yeah, it's slashers. (laughs) Slashers are like pizza, even when they're not especially good. You don't like fully regret the experience. There'll be something there. The movie we're talking about today is Dr. Giggles, directed by Manny Cotto. Cotto wrote with Graham Whiffler, and this was released in 1992. And I really liked this one. Like I, w- I was saying to you off the air, this was actually the first time I had seen this one, and I was delighted that it was, uh, of course, the best horror movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if you remember your first time seeing it, just kind of wh- wh- where this movie first made itself known to you. Yeah, th- no, this one came out right around that time. I wasn't allowed to watch anything, but I think because the title was so great, and I don't know if you saw the trailer, but it's amazing. It really captured the imagination of the kids on the playground who were allowed to watch movies, or they had a sibling who could sneak it to them, and they would just go on and on about how crazy Dr. Giggles was. It was so (laughs) messed up. And I was like, oh, man, I bet that's so scary. But yeah, you know, I I got older, and it, it was always kind of floating in the back of my mind. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm finally going to see what all the fuss is about. And it actually exceeded it. You know, those films you kind of build up when you're a kid. It, it You know, they don't always pay off when you're older. But ugh, I think Dr. Giggles delivers. Hell yeah. Hey, pun intended. Am I right? Thank you. I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of leaned in. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. I think we all have movies like that for sure. Uh, the Ring was definitely one for me. I remember being terrified just from the descriptions and then finally watching it and being like, wow, this is really incredible. But Dr. Giggles was shot in Portland, Oregon, where Dark Horse Comics is headquartered. And that's actually the first movie produced by the Dark Horse Entertainment Wing of the comics company, who would go on to release such hits as The Mask, Time Cop, Mystery Men, Sin City, and Hellboy. You know, none of these happen without Dr. Giggles being their break-in. That's right. He's the granddaddy of them all. That's right. 
it's also, I think, a really interesting time to get into the horror movie game, too, because it is a time of transition where people were kind of abandoning the more sincere slashers of the 80s that a lot of people felt too good for now to the meta commentary of Scream in 1996. But I think that this movie in particular really helps to create an environment for Scream to succeed because it is sort of both ahead of its time in terms of self-awareness while also still being a throwback great observation. A lot of people will say that this was kind of a downtime for horror films. They weren't really popular either in a trashy way or when Scream came out in a hip way. But I do think a lot of really interesting movies did come out and Dr. Giggles is definitely one of them. Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, the humor, uh, he even breaks the fourth wall in it. I'm not going to say he like directly impacted all these things, but, you know, you need someone to kind of test the waters for you. (laughs) Exactly. And these throwback elements that it has, I think, play into the very specific style of self-awareness that the movie has, where it's kind of just heightening the already silly elements. Like it understands that there is a certain, like, comedy to this doctor running around killing people, doctor in quotes, and it just it leans into that. It says, yeah, you're right, this is kind of silly and fun, so we're going to have fun with it. Yeah, and so much of that is Larry Drake is so perfectly cast. Yeah. It's hard to think of someone who could have done this as well. I think there there's probably a lot of great Dr. Giggles running out there in the world, but Larry Drake <laughs> is definitely born for it. Yeah, like everyone else plays it pretty straight. The teenagers, well, so certain scenes aside, they're they're pretty normal teenagers. For, at least our leads are. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like his direction was just kind of Manny Kodo, just like putting his arms down and be like, just go for it. <laughs> that scenery there, just chew it. Full meal, just go for it. He, Yeah, he's really the guide for the audience. Sometimes it makes it feel a little uneven. You have moments that play it very straight. Then he comes in with his puns and you're like, oh, I guess, yeah, it is a horror comedy. All right. All right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think the wisecracking and sort of like prop comedy (laughs) that he's doing with like not only the gadgets and toys that he has, but also kind of using the human body as a prop does feel a lot like a comic, you know, which obviously with Dark Horse producing, you want it to have that kind of comic book feeling. They're trying to put their stamp on this. It also, I think, does feel like EC comics. These were notable in the 40s and 50s specifically was when they were first coming out. But, you know, people know Tales from the Crypt, which is probably their most famous property, although uh, Vault of Horror certainly has its fans as well, including myself. Uh, And we've, in fact, done a whole Patreon episode about EC Comics, so I'm not going to rehash it all. But what I think is really interesting is that in 1991, Manny Cotto had written and directed the season three episode of the HBO Tales from the Crypt, Mornin' Mess. And so I think his playing around in that environment of EC Comics and Tales from the Crypt really does bleed into this movie as well it feels like it could just be another tales from the crypt movie to me oh yeah absolutely and i'm glad you brought that up his episode is one of my favorites and it's one of the more high concept ones it's fun it's really fun when they're all yeah. playing with the masks at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I i've seen people mention that this would make a good tales from the crypt movie and i agree with them Yeah, and there's so many scenes, uh, mostly the kills, like you mentioned, that look like panels. 
especially, you know, when he's opening the woman's mouth. And I can only imagine it was like a giant model they made for Larry Drake to look in. So I think that's normally how they do them. But yeah, they don't really, it's not an explicit movie. They tend to show the aftermath. But yeah, it's just, it's so stylistic. It's really satisfying. Definitely. Uh, you know, like you said, Larry Drake, he's coming off of L.A. Law and Darkman. He had actually also been on the Tales from the Crypt show. And I think that, like we said, does help him to sort of understand the style, let the comic book riff kind of speak for itself. He is chewing the scenery and way over the top, but he is also, I think, playing it kind of earnestly. Like, if he ever was like, oh, I think that what I'm doing is stupid, I think the whole house of cards comes tumbling <laughs> yeah, down. Absolutely, Yeah. <laughs> No, he loves his work. You know, he's very dedicated. Uh, He makes house calls. (laughs) No, but yeah. That one really got me. (laughs) No, he he really does show up. And honestly, that's the only way you can pull it off. Because you can tell with the really outlandish kind of roles or the really heightened villains when an actor is like kind of embarrassed or maybe insecure. No, not not an inkling of that. Definitely not. And I think his straight person to play off of, our our teen slasher hero, is Holly Marie Combs of Charmed Fame as Jen and Teen with a Heart Problem. That's that's her standout thing, is is she's got this this heart condition. And honestly, as in terms of like motivation for the killer, I've seen a lot worse. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting choice because it does work tying in with his backstory. But also, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one one hand, you're like, you know, she's a tiny teenager just from the suburbs. How is she going to go against the <laughs> psycho killer? And oh, no, she has a medical condition. So she's like doubly vulnerable. But on the other hand, you know, he's listing off all the things she can't do. And it's almost like, oh, is she going to be like so weak? It's going to be kind of sad or boring. And thankfully, that didn't happen. But I I have to wonder if that was a challenge while they're making it like how, how do we make her relatable, but not completely boring? Yeah, I think that does make a lot of sense in terms of like, so often the sort of crux of these uh, don't have sex or do drugs kind of motivations that wind up being sort of the core, I think does have a kind of interesting subversion here because she's not allowed to do physical activity or go out drinking or anything. And for it to still sort of come to her front door that this, the things that stop her from that are also the things that are drawing this killer to her. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a a cool, cool, cool twist on it. Yeah, I I agree. Just the perfect victim. Definitely. And one other thing to mention, you did kind of touch on it already in terms of how stylized it is instead of just being like super bloody. But in the 90s, the ratings board definitely cast a long shadow. Interestingly, I thought it was kind of similar to the, the comics codes that hamstrung actual EC comics as well. And not only because the ratings board was vicious, but because the environment that it fostered had a lot of people self-censoring to try and please them. And I think that for a movie that is coming out into a fairly bloodless time, they do a really great job of creating an atmosphere where you don't really miss it because it is stylized and because it is kind of goofy in in moments where you're like, oh, he just has like a bucket of hearts. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the only way to get around how much cutting they seem to require at the time. If you, if you weren't going to do a psychological horror movie, like you actually need to show slashings. Yeah, you had to have style. And I also think uh, the sense of humor they worked with helped immensely because, yeah, no one expects quite as much blood in a horror comedy. So that helps a little bit. Definitely. Dark Horse did release a comic as well, written by Stephen Grant, who also did comics for RoboCop, RoboCop 3, and Alien 3, among others. But they were based on early drafts, so apparently they're pretty different from the movie that we got. Unfortunately, the promotion didn't help a ton, with the movie only making $8 million at the box office, but I wasn't able to find a budget, so it's possible that that is uh, breaking even, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not totally sure, but, uh, you know, we can hope. <laughs> Yeah, I, though I do feel like this is the kind of movie that definitely made its money back on video. Right, because it did foster this kind of cult fandom where people did find it in their own time. Yeah, and there's just something so intriguing like, Dr. Git, why is he giggling <laughs> while he holds that scalpel? I gotta know more. It's a great cover, too. I mean, the poster is really fun. He's looming large on it. It's got the little RX thing for Doctor in there with the <laughs> blood slash. It's I love fun. the R scalpel tail. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> to get into the actual movie now, first of all, really satisfying Universal logo. That 90s Universal logo is just like chicken soup for the soul. But it really starts with this quote from uh, Hippocrates that says, for extreme illness, extreme treatments are most fitting. The classic heart rate monitor line appears as the letters of the title slowly fill in, and I really laughed a lot when they all kind of come in in pairs, and then they're like, oh yeah, and the period for doctor appears on its own, <laughs> the last thing. And we're in the bloodstream for the credits, it follows some platelets, and you know, this, again, is a moment where it's like, I could see why some people might bristle against this 90s CGI here, but I love the time capsule aspect of it. I think it's really fun because it is kind of silly looking to go through this this uh, artery here. But it, it's fun. And, and you can really see that for where CGI was, it really feels like a huge swing to go for this. And so you got to respect it, I think. Yeah, no, I was thinking for 1992 is really good. Yeah. <laughs> it did also remind me of the beginning of Look Who's Talking. <laughs> with the egg getting fertilized and that came yeah it came out a couple years before so i wonder if that's an homage i hope I, it is could be could be but suddenly we make our way to the heart and uh, it gets slashed by a scalpel we pull out, we see the doctor who did it is in an operating theater, and the patient is just in normal clothes, which is surprising. And they, they get this double joke in there as the patient expires, and the good doctor says, you win some, you lose some. And then he pulls out a circular saw and says, get ready to experience the cutting edge of medicine. And I really respect that we're three minutes and 45 seconds into the movie, including the production cards. And you can already tell if this movie is for you or not. Right. Yeah, they're not shy about it. They're like, this is who this guy is. So you're either in or you're out. And he giggles as the corpse shakes and sprays blood. And then we cut to a classic walk and talk where we get a little backstory about him. They say nobody knows Dr. Giggles' real ID, but he's a really smart schizophrenic patient who thinks he's a doctor. Giggles, MD. And he makes good his escape after getting, uh, shall we say, handsy with one of the nurses. While the cackling crowd in the operating theater is revealed to be the other patients who he let out. I think this is a really great intro to who Dr. Giggles is. We get 
several kills right away. We get to see his signature laugh. Just feels like a really great introduction. Yeah. And it, it's also one of those ideas I love where you're like, you know, you find out it it's the patients that are watching and they've kind of lost control of them. And that's like, oh, sick. That's like so interesting, exciting. <laughs> but then you think about it and you're like, but wait a second, this, this, and this would keep that from happening. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like, I, I'd much rather them go for that kind of showcase opening than try to friggin' logic it out for a movie called Dr. Giggles. Oh, yeah. Realism is for the birds. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to this high school just getting out for summer. Jen and her boyfriend, Max, talk to the rest of their friends who mostly don't get names <laughs> about their plans yeah. uh, to meet at Breeders Hill that night. First, though, she has to go to the doctor who listens to her heart and lets us know that she has this congenital defect that might lead to valve collapse, which she is worried about. No coffee, no tea, no alcohol, and no strenuous activity, the doctor says. Also, this guy seems to do regular doctoring plus eye exams. <laughs> It's like, who needs specialization? No, well, you know, in small towns, you kind of have to learn to do everything. Dr. Giggles has made his way to his uh, his rundown former home, and he's breaking open a wall to reveal a door with Dr. Evan Rendell on it. Also, this little sign that says the doctor is out, which kind of made me chuckle. <laughs> of his mind. Whoa. <laughs> The bashing through the wall does get heard by Jen, who's walking past the house. She gets freaked out. And she gets home. She talks to her dad. He seems like a sweetie, but he's also dating Tamra after Jen's mom died. And Tamra just doesn't understand. <laughs> also from my Tales from the Crypt episode. <laughs> Hell yeah. Back in the house, it seems as though Dr. Rendell is Dr. Gills's father, like we said, who he greatly admired and wanted to follow in his footsteps. And while he's looking at a photo of him, he says the town murdered his father and is sick, so he must be cured. And the problem is, uh, while he's digging through his old memories here outside of the house is Jen's group of friends. And they're drinking and Stu does like a slam poetry reading of the beginning of a town lesson. <sighs> Yeah, as was the style at the time. <laughs> yeah, it really cracked me up. It sounded kind of like a Tom Waits song because of the subject matter. <laughs> the one girl like snapped along to it. So here's the rhyme so that people know, and it does kind of sum up the backstory. The town has a doctor. His name is Rendell. Stay away from his house because he's the doctor from hell. He killed all his patients, every last one, and cut out their hearts purely for fun. So if you're from Moor High and you get sick, fall on your knees and pray you die quick. Woo! Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Pretty fun rhyme. You know, obviously sort of aping the Freddy Krueger nursery rhyme that the kids chanted, but I think they do. They make a pretty fun one here. Oh, yeah. And that's an, another thing. Uh, when I mentioned like the kids uh, on the playground talking about this movie, they love that kind of stuff that you can copy and like chant to other kids trying to be all cool and spooky. So it's pretty clever <laughs> adding that in. They dragged the doctor out and stoned him, apparently, and then went to kill his son, but he was gone. I thought it was funny and fucked up that the town was like, yeah, get that fucking kid, too. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> like, you're like, hmm, maybe Dr. Giggles has a point. <laughs> the kids are looking for secret passages, since one of them thinks that Dr. Giggles has been hiding there all along. Meanwhile, he's just shaving and getting on his uniform. And Stu traps two of the other kids in a dark room, and they're kind of freaking out. Stu, this is stupid. 
I appreciated as one of they get a pun in as well. Yeah, they're rank amateurs next to giggles. So. <laughs> That's definitely true. Definitely true. Uh, but they hear the giggle and the shadow passes under the door. And then I love this guy like fakes Fulci style eye trauma. <laughs> He like looks through it, pretends to get stabbed in the eye. It's amazing. Yeah, that seemed to be popular. Just like I know it'd be hilarious, uh, pretending something horrific happened to me and tricking <laughs> my friends. It's like good sense of humor, guy. I'll get him. Classic. <laughs> but while he gloats, he gets his comeuppance because a little needle slowly comes through the lock and it pokes him, squirting something green before he collapses, vomiting bloody foam. You know, like we said, they have to sort of stylize things to get around the blood. This is pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. Gurgling things from the mouth usually are pretty effective. (laughs) (laughs) The door opens and in walks Giggles, who does get the girl with the needle as well. And an older neighbor, Elaine Henderson, hears their screaming, and she walks her dog over to check things out. More giggles lead her to look in the keyhole where she sees his eye, which I also thought was like a genuinely pretty effective moment. Very Black Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've I've sort of compared it to several huge movies now at this point, and I love that it is sort of taking these influences and sort of rearranging them into a new shape. I think that it's really satisfying to be able to be like, hey, that's... That's kind of like this other movie, but making it fresh. It's not just repeating it. It it really brings it into its own context. Yeah, it, it's. I will say it's definitely a people pleaser movie. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. It really feels like every level of this is made to be like a really popular Friday night rental for teenagers. <laughs> and good for you. <laughs> Hell yeah, good for you. The start of the summer carnival is happening. Jen and Max are up on Breeders Hill looking down on it, and he does get drunk, but she abstains on doctor's orders, and the cops chase them away. The cops do also dismiss the call from Elaine, who is home now, getting ready for bed. Uh, She accidentally leaves the door unlocked when she lets the dog in, and I know we're not here to poke holes in it. We've already said that the realism is not the issue, but for me, if it were me, and I'd just seen a scary eyeball in an abandoned house, locking the door would be top of mind for me. Right. And even though that dog allegedly didn't know how to use the doggy door, Um, block that thing. Also, the pills that she set aside have changed from red to blue. She's going back into the Matrix. (laughs) You gotta pay attention whether you're taking DayQuil or NyQuil. She settles into bed to read the tabloids, but starts to choke. She's calling for a doctor. And who should be there but Dr. Giggles? This is when the good thing I make house calls (laughs) moment happens. Probably my favorite joke uh, of the movie i, I think it, it really uh it works with him being startlingly there <laughs> in a really great way and then yeah this is also where we get the shot from inside the mouth a very fun this one reminded me a little bit of little shop of horrors with the the very fun mouth interior shot yes. uh, that was great <laughs> and he jams a tool up her nose and into her brain and you get this really nasty crunch yeah, and there there you go again. We don't, you know, see the impact, but just the idea and the sound effects. Ugh. It's great. Ugh. Yeah. The cops finally do get to the house, and they check things out, discussing more facts of the case. Apparently, Dr. Rendell had been killing patients looking for a new heart for his wife, trying to do a heart transplant before that was even a thing. Uh, I love the one cop who's like, ahead of his time, but out of his mind. <laughs> Everyone has to get their one-liner in. It's a very democratic movie. (laughs) 
The younger cop does find some modern fabric there, and he is suspicious, but the older cop gets him to go. And there on the Ferris wheel, Jen tells Max about her heart issue. She also tells him that her mom died on the table during a routine operation, in quotes, and her recurring nightmares about that are back. So she bails on the evening, understandably. Right. Yeah, no, it's not a good movie to have medical trauma in. That's for sure. (laughs) She comes home. She hears dad and Tamara having sex. And in her rage, she throws her little heart monitor into the fish tank. (laughs) She says, sorry, guys, guess I'm just destined to screw up everyone's night, which was really funny to me. It's like it wasn't an accident. You dropped (laughs) it in there. Are you really sorry? Those poor fish are confused. (laughs) The doctor does stand outside watching her house, uh, a la Halloween, uh, which was also very fun there, as he's standing, they get some good music swelling behind him. Yeah, some exorcist. Very nice. And (laughs) it's Stu's house. He and his girlfriend sneak back in to have sex, and his little brother is there. They have so much of the Dr. Mario music in this movie. (laughs) I was like, I find it very improbable that that got signed off on. But I was wondering. I, <laughs> it's like, is that why it's not on Blu-ray in America? Like, they can't clear Dr. Mario? I uh, genuinely think that might be the reason. And it's a shame because that fever theme is a damn classic. Yeah, no, I, again, like, just a great early 90s moment. Like, can you believe how addicted kids are to video <laughs> games? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Terminal. Turn, oh my god, one of the best moments of the movie. It's like giggles if you you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Stu drops the condom in the toilet after going to the bathroom to put it on? Yeah, this is probably the grossest scene of the whole movie. (laughs) Guts gore, it it can't compare to a teenage guy trying to wrangle an unrolled condom in and out of a toilet. Yeah, it fishes it out with a toothbrush. Oh, the ultimate in horror. Best scene. <laughs> and then uh, stealing his mom's lingerie for his girlfriend to wear. That, that oh. kid has some issues. Definitely, definitely. While he's doing this, Dr. Giggles murders his girlfriend, who never got a name, by jamming an exacto blade thermometer into her throat. This is, you know, really, the toys do a really great job of, like, conjuring a genuinely uncomfortable feeling in me. Oh, yeah, because underneath your tongue, it's just nerves, you know, like, oh. (laughs) But that's one of the shots when I was talking about how it felt like a, a comic book frame. That, that's one of the big ones, you know, with yeah. his hand right in front of her and her eyes widening. Yeah, yeah. If, especially, like, in a movie like Creepshow, that would be the one where it, like, freezes on it, and then we get, like, the page-folding graphic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stu heads into the room with his pants and boxers back on. <laughs> and his hat! Yeah. Come oh, on! The hat stays on. <laughs> <sighs> Then he goes under the covers and finds the doctor instead of his girlfriend. And again, he's like, what, three times her size? But (laughs) no suspicious lump there. No, 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 no. (laughs) He's not even playing a stoner or anything. What's his excuse? (laughs) Uh, He's he's focused on one thing and one thing only. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor says, I hope you have protection and stabs him in the junk to death. Yeah, good political messaging there. I I, I think (laughs) that in. Jen looks at some old photos and she cries and then leaves. 
but the other door opens and in strolls the shadow of the doctor. This is a fun moment. Nice little uh, subtle. I mean, it's not that subtle, but like <laughs> compared to him just showing up and being like, hey, I'm here. The For this movie, yes, it's, it's very subtle. <laughs> Maybe this is the most of a stretch for a connection, but it did kind of look like the Hitchcock cameo shadow a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, no, I I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, when you have a similar body type like that, it's like, why not take advantage of it? Yeah. The dad goes to check on what he thinks is Jennifer, but it's actually an empty bottle. (gasps) (laughs) But she's not supposed to drink. I know. Oh, she's in trouble now, but... He and Tamara are fighting about her being sad about her mom, which is like, Tamara, come on. No, like the, except for the, they, with the cops, there's a new cop and he's actually calling out how strange everything is and how they need to actually investigate. But the rest of them are just cartoonishly stupid, terrible cops. And the same is true for the girlfriend. Like, she has to not just be like, oh, kind of uncomfortable with a teenage daughter being around. She has to be out and out. I don't care if she has a heart condition. I don't care that her mother died. <laughs> I want to have sex. If we don't, I'm going to eat all your already melted ice cream. Yeah, oh my she's terrible. God. The melted ice cream. What is that? They got to get that freezer checked. <laughs> she pulled that out. It has to be one of those things where they're like, okay, get the prop. And they're like, all right, who left this out? And an intern is just like inching away. Oh, <laughs> those set lights get real hot. <laughs> right. No, it's it, like the uh, condom scene. It, it's like a more disturbing image than it probably should be. <laughs> And yeah, she stays behind while the dad goes to look for for Jen, and and she's a prime candidate for a wellness check from the doctor, unfortunately. She's crying. She throws some ice cream at the mirror, and while she's cleaning the ice cream, she spots the doctor's bag on her bed before being restrained and having the ice cream vacuumed out of her stomach. And then he turns on the razor part of this contraption, which shoots a bunch of blood into the liquid ice cream. This is nasty, too. Yeah, it, this is a very Tales from the Crypt TV show kind of death, uh, which yeah. I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, and also, I don't know, it just uh, diet culture was really big uh, back mm. then. So I I don't know. It's just like throwing everything in from safe sex to, hey, there's <laughs> fat and sugar. Let's get it out of here. <laughs> it's very of its time, Dr. Giggles. <laughs> In such a great way, though, like it really does feel oh, yeah. like a time capsule. You, the Dr. Mario and, and all of these uh, cultural touchstones and everything. Oh, it's no, I, I always say I love dated movies because just like you said, they're time capsules. I love seeing what they felt like they needed to have a message about, uh, what they were commenting on, what was trendy. I think that's so fascinating. And they, you know, they have like the weekly world news with an Elvis sighting in it. The kids are wearing <laughs> flannel. Yeah, there's a later on, there's an answering machine death. It's, uh, (laughs) yeah, this is early 90s in a a gorgeously strange pill capsule. Sorry, that one wasn't very good. (laughs) It was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) You're very kind. Max and two of the girls from the group go to crash the secret party happening in the main building. Yeah, that was the main building. an interesting choice. <laughs> Especially because the secret party is a bunch of kids smooching in the band room. 
Yeah, but you know the the band kids are always the one the ones that were gang lead in high school. <laughs> Max shows one of the like they do the classic like oh here's how you finger and blow a saxophone and all the classic innuendos happen before they start making out while their third friend watches awkwardly and then bails. Yes, from Night of the Demons two. By the way, different hair color, but is distracting. Wow. I was like, where do I know her from? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I didn't know. The hair color does throw it off. Yeah. One of those, like, obscene uh, fellatio things. (laughs) And again, it's just kind of funny because he seems like he's earnestly trying to show her how to use the (laughs) instrument. And he apparently loves his girlfriend. But then, uh, and he looks kind of amused by her. Be like, oh, is this how you do it? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, he jumps on her. But, you know. He sure does. You know, those teenagers played by 25-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> so true. The doctor does find Janitor's heart monitor, and he flashes back to his mother's death, where his father went mad laughing, and so did the boy. And he says, oh, great. More high can wait. I got to carry on father's legacy and make him proud. Yeah, he's a good son. He's a sweet boy. That's right. Jen goes back to the party, and the third friend directs her towards the band room. And Jen is rightfully furious after seeing uh, Max make out with this other girl. And she storms back to the carnival once again. But now the doctor is watching her clocked from her photo in the room. Yeah. And this is this is back in the days where you had to bring the framed photo with you. (laughs) No cell phone to pull out and be like, oh, oh, scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah, that's her. (laughs) But she sees her dad. And in order to get away from him, runs into this hall of mirrors where Max chases her and the girl he was smooching chases after him. And I mean, this mirror scene is cool as hell. It's supposed it was pretty directly an homage to Lady from Shanghai, which, you know, that mirror scene is brings an already pretty fun movie to another level. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> It's one where I love it. I I love anything set in a haunted house or an amusement park or, you know, any kind of ride set up like that. But he kind of kills one girl with a giant Band-Aid that I feel like you only buy at a party store. But he had it ready, which is great. And uh, our heroine, she keeps crashing through the mirrors and i feel like they should have been more well reinforced if you know people are going to be bumping into them repeatedly. <laughs> yeah she's not running that fast yeah but anyway see that's me thinking too hard but you're right <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. very fun it is and yeah uh this this girl in the polka dots who apparently will finally learn her name is corinne at like the very end of her life when she says they got corinne but she smashes her nose on the mirror and the doctor confronts her and then yeah jen discovers the corpse which is stuck to the door with the novelty band-aid very fun reveal and jen does back up through the mirror she gets out through the emergency exit as the doctor pursues her and she does manage to escape running back to mrs henderson's but she's hit by the cop car instead <laughs> Yeah, I, I told you, those cops, man. I'm not impressed. <laughs> not impressed. They uh, are not helpful at all. In fact, they do damage to her. They literally throw her to the ground with their car, and she tells them that a doctor is trying to kill her. Max goes to the police station and tells them the same thing, and he suggested that it's Dr. Rendell's son, and these cops are eating so much Chinese food. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love it. They're they're like, oh, let's have me donuts. No, it's nighttime. Chinese food. Okay, yeah, Chinese food. 
It also feels like they were like, okay, but this is actually going to be like crafty for the day. So just order a bunch of fried rice. Everyone's just going to have that on the desk. That's a good point. It did not look like film eating. It looked like they're really tucking in. (laughs) But they also don't believe her. And it cuts to this absolutely bonkers sequence where it reveals how the doctor snuck his kid out. Maybe the most outlandish and delightful thing in the movie for me. Yeah, this is, you know, I think the whole movie's delightful. I think it fires on all cylinders, works on all levels, all those kinds of things you want to say. But (laughs) this scene is what puts it over. And, you know, it had a lot of competition. This was this was the time where there was a lot of occupation-based horror movies, you know? You mm-hmm. had The Surgeon. You had The Ice Cream Man. You had The Paper Boy. <laughs> but, but, yeah, ultimately, this, this kid was sewn into the corpse of the mother. And then in the morgue, he cuts himself out, just emerges from this husk, and scares the crap out of one of the morgue attendants. As a cop, yeah. And, of course, he did. Yeah. And yeah, and I that child actor, I hope he's doing okay because he was fantastic. He had the maniacal look in his eyes, like the the uh, like the the really scary looking teeth just brandishing that scalpel. Like he was I mean he seemed like he was having a great time. I I hope it didn't scar him in any way. Yeah, no, I hope so too. He he seems like he was having fun. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna tell myself at least. Yeah. The dad comes home, he listens to the voicemail that says, hey, we have your daughter here at the station, but then the next voicemail is, hello, it's your new doctor, I'm right behind you. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Until the saw starts. And it's so funny. And I just, for him to knock that out of the park and then hit him with the one-liner, if you think that's bad, wait until you get my bill. I'm just like, this is this is what the movie's all about, baby. That's how you sell a gimmick. He commits <laughs> to it. <laughs> The cop comes strolling on into the house, so the doctor hides, and then stabs his spine while he inspects the corpse. Like, I, when I, like, years ago, I cut myself pretty badly with an X-Acto knife. So, like, again, even Ooh. though we're not seeing, like, the goriest shots, just knowing that he's working with surgically sharp tools, it's still pretty icky. Definitely. The cop spins, fires a shot into the doctor, who laughs it off. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) He does uh, also operate on himself, which I thought was really fun. That's a great scene, They kind of copied that for the trailer. They do a version of him operating Mm. on himself. But yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's also like a little bit, uh, we get a little bit of character information there because he's giggling maybe harder than he does for the rest of the film. So it's like, oh, you giggle to hide your pain too. Yeah, (laughs) oh, poor Dr. Giggles. (laughs) The younger cop does believe that it's the Rendell kid and he finds a possible candidate in the escape schizophrenic that the the computer provides him. Thank you, computer. (laughs) Yeah, computer. Find candidates. Enhance. <laughs> Bam, this thing can do anything except play Dr. Mario. <laughs> the cop leaves Max there, who promptly climbs out of a window. And I feel like it was maybe surprising how easy it was to escape a police station. Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, it's like that scene in Hell Night. It just seems like you can just casually stroll in and out however you need to. <laughs> well, we're better for it, so. Yes, I suppose so. At least as filmgoers, for sure. Yes, yes. 
Dr. Giggles calls the chief pretending to be Mr. Harper and gets Jen's location at the hospital where the real doctor is keeping an eye on her heart. And she has this dream where the real doctor says they need to go in and he turns into Dr. Giggles. Uh, I really like this exposed heart effect that's there. Yes. Yeah. It's very effective. When she wakes up, though, the doctor is like, hey, you're going to be fine until suddenly he's stabbed in the back with scissors. And Dr. Giggles says, if I were you, I'd get a second opinion. (laughs) Okay, that's a great line, like a great delivery, great timing. But I think that's such a scary idea, too. Like you you wake up from a nightmare, you only just start calming down and then it actually happens. That's that's really scary to me. Yeah. Especially because she is in the middle of, like, uh, having a really bad time. Like, she has been running around and everything. Her heart, the reason that the doctor took her there is because he was like, I think her heart valve might collapse pretty soon. Yeah, if this night doesn't kill her, then, like, we need to turn her into a Robocop or something. (laughs) I also was just thinking that it's really funny that, like, it's so perfectly timed that I feel like he came up with the joke first and then he hung out and he was like, I'm going to wait until. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's going to storm in. And he's like, no, no, no. You, you have a reputation at this point, Dr. Giggles. You got to live up to that. That's right. It's, it's about quality of care. <laughs> no, really. His lines are just as important as his kills. Maybe yeah. even more so. Mm, Controversial some, opinion. Some maybe? might say, some might say. The real doctor gets him back by stabbing his leg, and they like sword fight briefly with a reflex <laughs> test and a yeah, metal rod. That's great. <laughs> um, Giggles does kick his butt though, and then uses a BP yeah. cuff to choke him. Which the Again. choking face is really grotesque. It is, yeah, but it's funny because like that's a really big pressure taker <laughs> thing. I've never seen that one large. I'm like, is that for like an elephant leg? <laughs> But yeah, when it's one of those great things where you're like, that's kind of silly and it cuts back and it's a wonderful practical effect. Yeah. And then you get, uh, as always, the great capper where he says, either you're dead or my watch is stopped. <laughs> but I do like how he looks down at his watch and is profoundly fucked up and broken and covered in blood. <laughs> Also, like, Jen is passed out. That guy is dead. It's for nobody. He's just doing it for himself, and I respect that. Yeah, hell yeah. He's committed to the craft. (laughs) Boy, I need to stop saying committed with this guy. We get the point. (laughs) Committed to the asylum. He drugs Jen, and he takes her to his lab. Meanwhile, the young cop goes to her house, finds the dad who still hasn't actually quite died yet, and tells him that it was the doctor. (laughs) yeah i guess it would have been too traumatic for her but i was never really too impressed with the dad yeah and so the cop leaves again dr giggles prepares to give jen one of several hearts in a bucket to fix her broken one (laughs) it's nice to have a selection yeah and as the cop enters the like lab or doctor's office he finds a bunch of corpses in the waiting room and i thought it was so funny that he actually pukes yeah like holding a magazine (laughs) Yeah, it reminded me of, you know, the happy birthday to me scene. And um, yes. I forget which Sleepaway Camp sequel kind of does something like that as well. But yeah, you just, you gotta love a room stuffed with corpses. <laughs> I've been loving like Pose. <laughs> pose. Because I think pose. we've all felt that way in a waiting room. <laughs> am I right? Oh, got him. 
I, I do, yeah, I do really love it, though. I think that this is a fun moment for the cop who, like, I wasn't expecting him to get this, like, moment of physical comedy or anything, and then here he is. Yeah, he even gets a puke take. Yeah. I'm glad they gave him stuff to work with. Giggles tells Jennifer that she's going to be the first to use his father's machine, since his mother died before she could, but before we can replace the heart, we have to stop it from beating, and his defibrillator is a bunch of car batteries. <laughs> Yeah, he. <laughs> it's like, okay, first bad news, he's going to try out medical technology on you that's experimental and over 30 years old. Two car batteries. So yeah, this poor girl. <laughs> I feel like she would have already been passed out, like out of just sheer exhaustion at this point. And she looks terrified and he says, you may be having second thoughts, but when you wake up, you'll have had a change of heart. <laughs> Hey. He's just, he's full of them. Yeah, he is our crib keeper. He's wonderful. <laughs> the cop enters with absolutely zero grace and <laughs> points a gun at Giggles. <laughs> and Giggles says, have a heart, gently tosses one at him as a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> then causes a the one he was about to use, too. Yeah. I don't know why that stood out to me. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Now she's going to need the giant heart. Yeah, that's not going to work. Nope. Telling you. He escapes when the lights flicker during this power surge, and the cop resuscitates Jen while Giggles grabs a golf club. Yeah, because it's what doctors do best. (laughs) (laughs) You burnt, doctors. Max arrives as well. I thought it was funny that she was happy to see him too. Like, I get it. I get why she would be happy to see anyone who's like a friend, but also it was like, oh, I guess infidelity can wait. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do like, and I think Holly Marie Combs probably uh, added this in as a good actress part, but she kind of side eyes him for a second, <laughs> but then you kind of see it turning in her head like, now's not the time. <laughs> <laughs> Giggles goes absolutely wild with the golf club, taking down Max and the cop alike. Jen shoots and misses as he absolutely manhandles this cop. I can't I can't believe this cop gets up after getting knocked like 20 feet through a window with a golf club. Adrenaline, I guess, you know? <laughs> I guess it's so. pretty exciting third act. Yeah. He also gets lit on fire as the fight continues. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a dangerous area covered in cobwebs and questionable machinery. Yeah. <laughs> he does manage to swing a chain around Giggles' neck, though, until he's sawed in the back. Jen and Max try and run, but Giggles is right behind them, even grabbing her ankle before looking for another route and getting trapped in the lab right as it explodes, sending the whole house up. Max, Jen, and the doctor's bag are all launched from the house. The bag's still aflame as well, which I also quite enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, too bad this couldn't have been a 3D movie. Could you Uh, imagine? If only. We should be so lucky. (laughs) Jen's heart, though, took too much strain, and she needs the replacement surgery right away. Grab the bucket! (laughs) There's plenty of hearts in there. Waste not, want not. (laughs) They take her in. The blood, though, drips from under the floor, and a nurse goes to check, and she follows the path, finding several dead bodies and getting killed herself. This is a a fun reveal. (laughs) It's a fantastic reveal. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because it's genuinely creepy because you put yourself in that nurse's place and you're just like, oh, my God. (laughs) And then, you know, uh, she's in there vulnerable again, about to be operated on again. Yeah. And this time she's even counting down for the anesthesia to take hold. (laughs) Weak as a kitten right now. Don't do it to her. 
Giggles walks in. Who the hell are you? Asks the surgeon. And Giggles pulls down the mask to reveal, uh, in theory, uh, if maybe not execution, a hideously burned face. <laughs> oh, but I loved it because it reminded me, it was Don Davenport at the end of Female Trouble. He looked exactly oh, like Divine wow. at the end movie yes it's like to the point it made me wonder if that was another homage i, you know I was what? like yes I, i'm gonna i'm gonna say yes it was we're confirming that right here. yeah thank you thank you thank you for your second opinion <laughs> there we go <laughs> and he, he responds i'm her doctor he pulls out a bunch of new toys including the one he actually uses to kill the surgeon which is some kind of like spring-loaded spike platform that his glasses <laughs> stick to yeah yeah, again, not showing the moment of impact, but the aftermath is pretty effective and kind of like darkly funny too. Yeah. Also, hey, that 3D movie could have been oh, another great moment. <laughs> Why do we keep doing remakes when they should really just like take these films and make them 3D? <laughs> great question. Oh, because it, it would lose a lot of money. I don't care. It's still <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. What happened to artistic integrity? Studios. Really? <laughs> I think I'm going to start a petition after this. Yeah, I think include, please, in that petition that they should do, like, reshoots and have the heart throw come at us as well. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Yes, we must keep this vision pure. <laughs> he tries to convince her to let him operate on her, which I love this kind of, like, insight into his brain that he really, like, feels like he's doing the right thing here and is trying to fix her in his own twisted, fucked up way. Yeah, she's a real final girl. He doesn't see her the way he just saw the random teenagers he was killing. She's like the mission. Right. And she runs groggily into a storage closet for safety. Uh, he breaks in and is promptly electrocuted by her uh, with her alcohol and defibrillator trap. He's not done, though. He grabs her and he gets up. I don't feel well, he mutters, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> She takes his own weapons, and as we said, everybody gets a one-liner. She says, take two, call me in the morning, double stab. Amazing. Beautiful. Beautiful. And she she had the least punny character in line, so I'm glad she got that big hero moment. And this is the fourth wall break that you mentioned, where he looks out into the audience, <laughs> drooling in this really gross way. Yeah. <laughs> And Larry, Larry Drake has some, like, wide, sensuous lips. It's very, <laughs> very apparent. Yeah, you kind of get why that kid was like, oh, look at this guy in my bed here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he, he asks, is there a doctor in the house? Before falling forward, driving them straight through his body, which I also thought was a very fun little kind of capper there. Uh, and he's finally dead. Yeah. I just miss him already. <laughs> so true. He's so just true. so cheerful. He, he had an infectious laugh. <laughs> Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> Thank you. Jen wakes up in a hospital bed. Her dad is there. Didn't die. Max is there. Didn't die. The Scarecrow and the Tin Man are there. <laughs> I also did really like that the dad is only there for a couple seconds just to be like, yeah, I am alive. And then Max... Max gets the hero moment here as he smooches her and her heart rate quickens and we cut to black. Victory is ours. Really fun ending, especially with Dr. Doctor, give me the news cover playing over the credits. <laughs> yeah, yes. What an outro. Yeah, I love those slam bang endings into like an ironic like rock song playing oh, at the end. Yes. That's just 
a very specific thing I like. And it's a very sweet ending, uh, you know, because when they they pull in on her heart rate, you know, you imagine like it's going to spike up like she's scared all of a sudden or maybe flatline right before we fade to black. And it's just it's romantic. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, this guy doesn't deserve her, but like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. He he got really lucky that they just went through an awful, awful experience. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, they probably broke up a week later. <laughs> like, when she's like, now that I'm recovering, I realize what a terrible mistake this is. Yeah, the adrenaline wore off. She was like, what am I doing? <laughs> But now, Stephanie, we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. All right. Why, why, why do you love horror movies? Why do you love slasher movies? Is it for the copious kills? We have that. Is it for their inventiveness? Oh, we have that. Do you like a very charismatic original villain? Oh, boy. Do we have that? We have puns, we have uh, stupid decisions that lead to very outlandish scenarios. We have location changes, ahoy. It, 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 this has everything. It over delivers. It's too much sometimes, but then you just start craving it and you want more and more. So it's the best because it has everything. It has humor. It has like really disgusting uh, things. It has kind of pat psychological ideas. It doesn't delve into too much, which is good. I don't want to waste my time on that. You know, I want to see things getting shoved into orifices and that's what I get. So (laughs) yeah, clearly Dr. Giggles is the greatest horror movie of all time. Yes, I totally agree. To me, Dr. Giggles is the best horror movie ever made because it takes some of the things that we already love and combines them in such a great way. You know, these familiar motifs, the old dark house that's, you know, draws the teens in a fun carnival that is maybe has someone lurking in the, in the depths of it. All of these fun things are taken to another level by Larry Drake as Dr. Giggles himself. You know, this performance is really the heart and soul of this movie. And I just think that he does such a great job with it. You know, we mentioned the earnestness that is integral to a movie like this, that if he blinks for even a second, that it it, it just doesn't work. And I think it, it is so much to his credit that he doesn't blink, that he is able to take silly material seriously in a way that creates such a fun movie. You know, I, I just think it is throwing back to these EC comics in a fun way while also kind of looking forward at what the future of horror might be. It has this intense CGI moments where you're like, whoa, they're really using like all the technology that's available to them. There are practical props and and effects and stuff. It is so much fun. And the fact that it is so underseen, I think is more criminal than than Dr. Giggles himself, even. And <laughs> and I, I just think that the fact that it, it pulls these things together in, in such an interesting way, especially, I don't know if I mentioned that this was Manny Cotto's directorial debut. You know, he, he comes out swinging with this, and, and, and we see him just absolutely knock it out of the park, and so does everyone else involved. It's just a wonderful time. Best horror movie ever made. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Like every everything's very confident in this movie, which is really, really wonderful. And it's 
a huge reason why I think it works. I feel like everyone's like, eh, yeah, let, let's commit, uh, stop using that word. <laughs> let's just really <laughs> buy into this Dr. Giggles concept. Yeah. And why not? Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Please tell the people where they can read your writing, find you on Twitter, all that stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you can find me on WebMD. Sorry, uh, <laughs> Twitter. Uh, I'm scrawfish there. Definitely give her a follow. And as far as my plugs, you can follow me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. That username applies pretty much everywhere. Letterboxd, Instagram, mostly on Twitter, though, versus Instagram. Uh, And you can also check out the Patreon, where we talk about uh, all kinds of other stuff, bonus episodes and commentaries. But, you know, the bonus episodes, especially if you enjoyed this movie, we, like I said, talked about EC Comics, a whole Patreon episode about them. And I love Tales from the Crypt. I think it is super, super fun. It is a big part of like my horror experience growing up because my dad had a mask of the Crypt Keeper that was just like the most scary thing to me in the world. Oh, cool. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, it, it's such a fun time period and, and like, uh, and earnestness uh, to, to like punny jokes and, and, and uh, it combines the, the comedy and horror in such a great way. Uh, and I love it. So I encourage people to check that episode out as well as this movie. What else? Mailbag. Uh, best little mailbag at gmail.com if you have a question or a comment or whatever uh, and rate and review if you're enjoying the show and that is it thanks everyone bye